Well, there's a couple things that every one of us in this room has in common. Even if you're not a Christian, and you got talked into coming today, and you're with a family member, or she's cute, or you lost a bet, or whatever the reason is you're here today, there are some things that we all have in common. You haven't got the whole Jesus thing figured out. You're not sure about the scriptures. But there are at least three different components that we all have in common, every single one of us in this room. Number one, we do not like to be deceived. There's not a single man, woman, boy, girl in this room that says, I love it when somebody deceives me. We do not like to be deceived, right? Are we in agreement with that? Would everybody agree that you don't like to be deceived? Second of all, um, we've all been deceived, There's not a single one of us in this room that hasn't had some form of deception relationally, medically, legally, from family, from theology. We've all in this room been deceived by somebody. A few years ago, some sweet old ladies from Memphis, Tennessee were down from our church in Memphis from years ago, and they were here for a weekend, and we had a great time with these four widows, and they were going to the airport, and we took them to lunch at the Safety Harvest Ball. And right after church, we went to lunch, and the waitress comes over to me, and the waitress says, aren't you the pastor of Harborside? And I said, I am. I have a clue who she is. Well, the credit card company said I was supposed to hold your credit card. But since I think you're the pastor, I'm going to give you your credit card back and ask you just to call your company. Do you have another card? I said, yeah. Gave her another card. Took these four sweet women to the airport. I'm driving back on the causeway calling the credit card company, and the guy on the phone says, yeah, dude, that's never a good sign, you know, (laughs) yeah, dude, you've charged $11,000 to Japan. At that moment, I about drove off the causeway into the canal, and he said, you've never been to Japan, have you? And I said, no, I've never been to Japan. So I'm I'm breathing again, and of course, we start the paperwork and start to, to, to take care of it. We've all been deceived. So number one, we don't like to be deceived. Number two, we've all been deceived. And number three, we, we are all products of being affected by deception. Some of you in this room today are still struggling with forgiveness because you've been deceived. Some of us in, the, in this room are still struggling with feelings of low self-esteem because somebody deceived you. Some of us had some incredible financial setbacks because of deception with a partner or with business. And so every one of us in this room, we've been impacted by deception. Now what Peter does in the book of 2 Peter is he talks about deception inside the church. The book of 1 Peter is pressure outside the church. 1 Peter is all the persecution, all the things that are going on. 1 Peter's written in about AD 64. We remember Nero, full-blown, full-scale persecution on the outside. It's now about AD 68. So about three and a half years later, four years later, Peter's writing 2 Peter. There's still all the persecution on the outside, pressure on the outside. Now there's incredible pressure inside the church. And so he's going to talk about some false teaching. And I want to give us in just a minute, eight different components of false teaching from the book of second Peter. And so if you are a note taker, you want to write some notes on the back of your bulletin, I would encourage you, we're going to give you, I'm going to give you eight of these for you to be able to recognize. So as you're finding a pen or piece of paper, first of all, let me tell you what false teaching is not. 
Okay? False teaching is not, you know, a disagreement over a theological practice or a theological interpretation of the Bible. For instance, false teaching is not, well, I think Jesus is coming this way and you think Jesus is coming that way. That's not false teaching, right? That's just a disagreement. And if you and I disagree, you know, you have the right to be wrong because I know I'm always going to be right about it, right? That's how everybody feels. Those are just, inter- those are opinions. Those are just interpretations. False teaching is not necessarily a practice within the church. Well, we're going to have communion once a month. We're going to have communion, you know, once a year. We're going to have communion once a week. That's not, that's not false teaching. That's just a difference in practice and how a church does its church practice, Okay. But false teaching always centers around two different areas. Number one, it always centers around Christ. And number two, it always centers around the scriptures. And so false teaching is always a low view of Christ and a low view of scripture. For instance, if you today believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, God's anointed one, that's a high view of of Christ. If you believe that the Bible is God's word, it's authoritative, it's, it's been inspired by God, God had certain people under his inspiration write the scriptures, that's a high view of scripture. And so today, as a non-denominational independent Christian church, uh, your elders and your staff, we have a really high view of Christ. We really do believe Christ is the real deal. But there are lots and lots of groups today that have a low view of Christ, He was simply a great teacher. He was simply a wonderful moral man. He had some wonderful parables and truths. That would be a low view of Christ and a low view of Scripture. Okay? Does that make sense? So just because we disagree or you you have a disagreement with your brother or your mother about once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation, that's not false doctrine. Or you believe in a lot of free will and your parents believe in no free will, that's not false doctrine. False doctrine always focuses on a low view of Christ and a low view of, of the Scriptures. I knew you were paying attention, okay? So let me give you eight components now out of the book of Second Peter that really focus around um, false teaching or being deceived. Here's the first one. First one is Peter's going to say it's prevalent. It is everywhere. Second Peter chapter 1, look at this. But there are also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, we have this today. We have all different kind of groups today that have a low view of Christ and a a low view of Scripture. We live here in Clearwater where one of the major components of false teaching is just right downtown. And you and I see that. We drive downtown. You ever notice how they're like a bunch of zombies just going from stoplight to stoplight? It is the weirdest thing. There is no expression on their faces. I don't know if they're brainwashed or what, but it's prevalent. And we see this all the time, even in our own culture. Look at the second component of this. Always false teaching misrepresents God, and it misrepresents Christ. God and Christ are always misrepresented. Here's 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at this verse. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. This is another example of God and Christ are misrepresented. Number three, 
This one will shock everybody in the room. Motivation is greed. Doesn't that shock everybody? I have conversations at Publix or at Target with people that I'm kind of getting to know in the community, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know what? There's a lot of people spreading this gospel for money, aren't they, preacher? Thinking that I will disagree with them. I say, absolutely. Well, do you think some of those people on TV are charlatans? Absolutely, I I do. Now, not all of them. But in in a culture where the motivation is always for greed, you can see that there are false teachers and false doctrines even within the church. Look at these verses. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And so just like then... Today, we have people who are trying to manipulate you and me, and their motivation is greed. That's false teaching. You still with me? All right, here's number four. Number four is no moral compass. You can always notice false teaching when there's not a, what I call, a moral compass. Second Peter chapter 2, about verse 12, I think. Yep. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will pay back with their harm for the harm they have done, and their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Now, what Peter's trying to say is, this is inside the church. And Peter's trying to say, look, it's now AD 68. We got pressure on the outside. We got persecution on the inside. And he's talking to all these different people in modern-day Turkey, really. It's really churches in modern-day Turkey today. And he's asking them to stick with the faith, to be on their guard, to be clear and be, be concise with what they think and what they believe. All right, another, another example is arrogance. If you listen to, to, to true teachers, you listen to Charles Swindoll. You listen to Charles Stanley. You listen to a Louis Giglio. You listen and you just hear humility. You don't hear arrogance. They're not strutting up to the pulpit. They are humble, godly, gifted people. Look at what Peter says about arrogance. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They're, they're just all the time talking. They're bragging about themselves. Another example, very quickly, of false teaching is entrapment. I like this word. I made this one up with this passage. I think it fits. Entrapment. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18 says this. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And false teachers want to entrap people who've been steeped in sin for a long, long time. And instead of setting them free and standing them up for success, they pull them back into their trap. But another example of false teaching is they get caught. They get caught in their own trap. And every false teacher eventually gets caught in his or her own trap. Here's what the scriptures say. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people who are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. 
And here they were entangled. Another example is they're quick to pass judgment. This is the last one, then we'll move on. Still with me? All right. They're quick to pass judgment. Here's what a false teacher will say. Above all, you must understand that these last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? In other words, what are they saying? They're saying, Jesus said he was coming back, but it's been about 30 years. He hadn't come back. Where is your Jesus? Is he asleep? Is he taking a walk in the park? Did he go fishing? Where is he? And they will scoff. And they will say, where is his coming he promised? And ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And here's his answer. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Why, why hasn't Jesus come back again? Why, what is Jesus waiting for? Jesus is waiting for you and me and everybody in our families to become Christians. It is not God's will that any perish. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to help all of us have a personal walk and a personal relationship. So why is the Lord slow in his coming? I think he wants heaven to be full of people. I think he can't wait for heaven to be just brimming over with people. And so he's delaying the second coming of Christ until more and more people can come in. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right, so there's hope. Peter gives us hope in this third chapter. If you would go with me to first, second Peter, rather, second Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to show us some of the hope. And here's what Peter says. In verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 9. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do verse 10. Yeah, let's do verse 9. Which, one, which, which verse do you want to do? Let's do verse, let's do, yeah, no, let's go to verse 9. You got me. Go back to verse 9. That was good, Deb. All right. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. All right, we just read that. Now go to verse 10. She's always ahead of me. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay, next verse. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here's where we're coming to you now. Gave you eight components of false teaching, but I want to talk about you next. What kind of people ought you to be? Since this heaven and this earth is going to be destroyed, and it's all going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem someday, What kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Look at verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Will this be nuclear war where this earth is destroyed? I don't know. You don't know. But the Bible promises that this earth and these heavens will all be destroyed. And the Bible promises, Peter says, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the book of Revelation talks about the new city, the holy Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as a bride, beautifully adorned for her children. So he's keeping his promise. We're looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth, where righteousness dwells. Look at verse 14. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
You see, how you live today really does matter. And so becoming saved and having a, you know, salvation from our sins is wonderful, but there's so much more to this Christian life. And I feel sorry for believers who just get fire insurance. I think the greatest part of the Christian life is getting to have Jesus live his life through you. The most exciting part is you waking up every day with God and, the, and Christ and the Holy Spirit now at work in you and through you to fulfill all the purposes he has in store for you. That's exciting. Just to be saved from your sins and go about your normal life, that to me is the most boring life that you could ever live. And yet Christ said, I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. I think that means that every day is not going to be roses and happy, happiness. I think that means Christ is now living in you and through you and going to manifest his, his kingdom uh, throughout your skills and your ability. So how do you do that? How do we live our life? How do we make our life count? How can we have a significant life each and every day? Well, I think there's about three things I want to share with you. Number one, we tap into his power. There is so much spiritual power available for you and for me. So if all this false teaching is out of my life and it's out of my church, and I then realize that I have a purpose in this life and on this earth, how do I accomplish my purpose? Well, first of all, every man, every woman can tap into that divine power. Here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says, his divine power, who's the his? God, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and by his own goodness. Look at verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you, you may participate in the divine nature. Oh, not me, Kurt. I mean, you got to understand, i got so much gunk and filth and junk all over me. I lived 40 years this way. No, no, no. That's the potency and the power of Christ. So that you might live in him, and he might then live through you, and you participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we tap into it. Secondly, we have to apply it. It's like going to the health club. It's like going to LA Fitness. You got all these machines in the room, okay? But you can walk around and just talk to people for an hour and never do any push-ups or setups, right? I watch people at the YMCA. Some of those people are just there to have a good time. They don't do any exercises while they're in the room. Others are there, and they're working out, and they're getting it the whole time. We have to apply his power. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says this. For this very reason, for this very reason, you make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. What is this? This is called spiritual growth. And again, this is why as a church, we provide connect groups, women's ministries, men's ministry. This is why on January 20th of next year, we want your kids for both hours. This is why starting January 20th, we, we want 
your middle schoolers, your high schoolers. We're going to have our high school small groups on Sunday mornings. We're going to offer connect groups even for you on Sunday. We want you to grow. And that, to me, is the most exciting part about this life with Jesus Christ, is you get to grow, and you get to grow, and you get to grow. Thirdly, I think we we must pay attention to the prophetic warnings. Look, Look at this. We pay attention to this. He's given us prophetic warnings. He's given us prophetic writings. Look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. I just want you to realize, here's a guy who's about to get killed. And he's telling you how reliable God's word is. He's not getting ready to become like, you know, the bishop of some big church. He's not getting ready to like have a book endorsement and make a million dollars on a signing bonus. He's getting ready to be crucified or killed. And here's a guy who's saying to you and to me, this is reliable. In just a minute, I'm going to tell you how he knows it's reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Look at the next verse. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. No. Prophecy never had its origin in, the, in human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he know that? That's really good, but how does he know that? Look at chapter 1, verse 14. Look what he says. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Look at verse 16 and 17 and 18. Here's what he says. This is firsthand. This is personal. This is a great man, Peter, coming to the very end of his life. He knows that his days are numbered. He knows that at any time, because of the incredible persecution on the outside, he's going to die. And look what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ's power. No, we were, we were what? We, we were there, baby. We were there. Peter, John, and James, we, 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 we were there. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him for the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. What's Peter describing? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe the transfiguration. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe an event where Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up on a mountain. And basically, Jesus unzipped himself. And all of a sudden, that glory just came out of him. And Peter's like, oh my goodness, what do we need to do? Should we build three shelters, one for you? And God's like, Peter, this is my son. Just be quiet. This is my son, whom I love. 30-some years ago, that event happened to Peter. This is my son, whom I love. I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice. Now, here's a man not motivated by money. Here's a man getting ready to be killed for his faith. Why would he make that up? He wouldn't. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. What a day that was. And it never, ever ceased to be very far from Peter's 
memory. The question, maybe for some of us this morning, is not, is it true? You kind of believe it's true. I mean, deep down, your grandmother talked about this, and your grandfather prayed for you at the kitchen table. Deep down, you know it's true. You know the evidence for the historical resurrection of Jesus is like, you know, there's like 11 post-resurrection appearances. I mean, no other leader ever claimed he would rise from the dead. No other leader ever rose from the dead. No other leader ever had anybody say he rose from the dead. Nobody ever had that until Jesus of Nazareth. So deep down, you kind of know it, 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 it's true. But I think the question that we're always asking ourselves is, will it work? I mean, it, it may be true, but, but, but does it work? Will it work in my life? This past Friday, I had a funeral at 11 o'clock on Friday. But before that, one of our physicians from our church asked me if I would go with him and basically help plan the funeral service for a 78-year-old woman. And so this physician from our church, he and I went to her one-bedroom apartment. It's a very humble one-bedroom apartment. Let me just leave it at that. And, and the woman is, is in her last days, maybe weeks, and uh, we're there, and we're li- literally planning her funeral. And um, one of the questions and, that we asked her was, you know, why me? And why, why did she ask this physician to find the preacher? And, and she said, because I want a preacher that's going to talk about Jesus. She said, I, I watch some of the preachers on TV, and some of them preach about Jesus, and some of them don't preach about Jesus. I want a preacher. And she's basically now, the tide has turned, she's basically interviewing me. At this point, she wants to know what I think about Jesus, and am I excited about, about Jesus? And so we asked some questions, and, and her husband was in one of the original sponge dock divers up there in Tarpon Springs, and just a cool family, a cool story. And uh, she said, in 1952, I was raised Greek Orthodox, and that was all good, and I knew Jesus up here. But she said, in 1952, I went to a revival in Tampa. She mentioned the the revival speaker's name. And she said, that day, God just melted my heart. And my relationship with God went from here, she said, to right to here. And so here's this woman, and she's on oxygen 24 hours a day, oxygen tube, long tubes. You could you know, like walk around her apartment. And by the way, at one point, I kid you not, I look down, I am stepping both feet on her oxygen tube. <laughs> I couldn't believe I was cutting off her oxygen. I, was, I, so I, I got off of it. Only I could kill somebody trying to plan their funeral on a Friday morning. <laughs> and she's showing us pictures about um, you know, her family. And, and here she was. So if you were asked, her name is Bessie. If you were to ask Bessie, is it true? Yeah. Does it work? She would say, yes, Jesus means so much to me. A year ago, a woman named Erin was very, very lost. You've seen our, uh, one of our worship leaders, Joy the Blonde, over here playing the keyboards this morning. Joy was a worship leader at a smaller church in Charlotte, North Carolina, before she came here. And so she moved to Charlotte. She advertised for a roommate of good moral character. 
And so she advertised, and this girl named Erin applied to be a roommate with, with Joy. And so it was like the first week, and <clears throat> Joy said there was vodka in the freezer. So she asked Erin about the vodka, and she said, oh, it's not mine, it's not mine, it's a friend of mine. Sorry about that, they just left it in the freezer. A week later, Joy smells pot, marijuana. And if you've smelled marijuana before, if you've smelled it one time, you, you can recognize it anywhere. Not that I'm an expert on pot, but I'm just saying you can recognize it wherever you go. And um, she asked her friend about the pot, and she said, no, it's not mine. It was a friend who came over. Sorry about that. Joy on Saturday nights would always play the songs for Sunday morning, practicing in, in her apartment. So she'd be on the piano, as she is right now, playing and, 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 and singing and just practicing, getting ready for the next day. All that scripture and all that worship and all that singing began to, to influence Aaron. But the drugs and alcohol were also taking their toll on this poor girl. And this 25-year-old young lady missed one day of work, two days of work, three days of work. And finally, about the fourth day, Joy kept asking, are you okay? Are you okay? What can I do to help you? And 2 o'clock that night, 2 o'clock in the morning, Aaron said, I need help. Would you help me? I don't know what to do. Would you help me? And Joy just began to pray with her and read the 23rd Psalm. This went on for an hour and a half. And Joy calls her parents at 3.30 in the morning. Her dad's a pastor. Her mom's actually a youth minister. And the mom and dad say, just share with her John 8, 31 and 32. Just keep sharing John 8, 31 and 32. And here's where Jesus says this. The Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you'll really be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Joy just kept sharing truth and truth and truth the rest of the night with Aaron. The next day, they get Aaron into a month-long program. And at daily, Joy would come, and she would read Scripture, and she would pray with Aaron. And Aaron gave her life to Jesus Christ. And a year ago, everything began to change in Aaron's life. Aaron had all these unsaved friends. She began inviting them to church, and they became Christians and got baptized. Aaron's mom, dad her brothers, their entire family now from the last year. They go to church, and this, this next uh, fall, uh, winter, Erin's um, actually going on her first short-term mission trip. Does it, does it work? Yes, it works. You tap into it. You apply it. You let that divine nature of Scripture and truth and the Spirit just immerse you and overwhelm you. And so you be on your guard, and you walk, walk faithfully with him each and every day. I want to ask you to stand at this point, and I want to ask our prayer partners just to come down and get in place. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we want to offer you that opportunity today. If today, maybe you're confused, maybe about some false teaching or false doctrine, you want to ask one of our prayer partners, they'll pray with you. Perhaps today you, you have a medical need or a, a physical need or a financial need and you would like somebody with skin on just to come with you and to pray with you and to pray, to pray over you. I'll tell you, Bessie and Aaron would say, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. So today, will you just surrender to him and give him 
top priority of your life. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And if you haven't given your life to him, I can't think of a better time or a better place or a better opportunity than right now, even this morning. I'm going to close this in prayer. And again, if you'd like to come down and be prayed with and prayed over, we welcome you to do that. Lord Jesus, you are the great I am, and we worship you today. We have a high view of you, Jesus. Yeah, you were a moral teacher. Yeah, you were a great leader. But you are the son of the living God. You are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we worship you today. We also have an incredibly high view of Scripture. Lord, I don't understand every verse. I don't understand every book. But it's all yours. I have no doubt that you wrote it. As I've said to our church many times, I believe the greatest miracle in the Bible is the Bible. I'm so impressed with how you wove all these truths together. Now, may we continue to grow and flourish in our faith with you. If there's anybody in the room this morning that needs to cross over from death to life, give them the courage to do so just now. We love you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. God bless you.